0: Welcome back to another episode of Growing Forward, and I'm continuing with the Iconic Women series. And of course, I have another Iconic woman with me today, Carla Goodman. How are you doing? Hi. Welcome Hi. to Thank Iconic. You. You. So, Carla, you're, interest- you're like so interesting, and I'm so fascinated, to be honest. I met you at Network Cork, and when you meet someone and they tell you what they do, you just take, okay, that's what you do. And then when you start digging into like how they got there. That's what I'm most interested with you. So you've gone from being on one side of the camera, you could say, from the actress to a TV producer, director, you know, all all these heavy terms. But underneath it all, you have an eye for a story and telling that story. So bring me back to maybe your childhood. I love to see when people have joined the dots and have actually continued with the things they were passionate about. The reason I wanted to interview you and I think you're iconic is because I'm just so impressed that with all of your experience on paper, that here you are, another relatable woman who has children, you know, who looking up to her and you've carved out a fantastic career using your passion and your eye. So bring me back to where all of that started. I'm hoping that it will add up in your childhood that you were, you know, interested in TV or something, but bring us back to younger Carla.
1: Okay, well, thank you um, for inviting me on the iconic series. I feel very flattered, slightly humbled, really. <coughs> iconic is such a big
0: word; it's, it is. it's, it's lofty, isn't <coughs> it? And and you're not the only one to go. Me, like, am I am I iconic? But I really am trying to make like people like me or an earlier version of me. Let's just say, understand that there's people in our community that are iconic. There's people working with us. It doesn't necessarily mean the ones who are a list celebrities. You're doing something iconic to me if I'm inspired by how you got to where you got and you're still a normal person underneath it all, you know, who can use Google Maps and figure her way out to finding iconic offices, you <laughs> yes. know, all of that stuff. So tell me what um, what were you doing in your childhood that gave you clues to where your career has now brought you to?
1: Oh, OK. Well, it's an easy one, actually, for me. Um, and it's a lovely memory. I um, my dad was into taking cine footage of us, eight um, millimil super eight, and um, he would edit all this stuff in the basement of our house, which he also built. <laughs> he was quite a character. He was an amazing character, actually. So I was his little assistant, and I loved it. I loved being with him. I loved the whole bonding experience. So we'd have reams of tape film. Mm-hmm. I mean and now that we're we've moved into video and everything's digitalized people forget the original film was a piece of film that was cut and uh it was well the technical term would be um it was cut and spliced so in the basement of our of our home there was me with my dad and the splicing machine where he would cut the film where he wanted to edit the sequence and then he would pick another sequence and cut that
0: and glue the two pieces together. I did not even know that that's yeah. how did. Yeah. Oh, my the God. The pieces
1: would be glued together. So, you, so in other words, you're kind of choosing like you do now. You're choosing your bit of footage one after the other wow. to create a sequence.
0: That's very laborious, though, isn't it? And very tedious. Hugely like... <gasps> laborious. I don't oh. know
1: how I was so patient at mm. age seven. So I would be down there, and I'd be holding this splicing machine down and waiting for the glue to set. And so we'd have we'd have rolls of film that we would then put through another little uh, viewing machine. And then when he was happy that it would all be edited together properly, he taught, his, he taught himself. Then we would put it onto a huge spool mm-hmm. and I would announce to the rest of my family that we were ready to put the show on of the family holiday or whatever, the garden in the summer of of, of 71 or whatever it was. And um, so there'd be little snacks <clears throat> The lights would be turned down. My dad would start the projector. It would um, project up onto a white, one of those white screens that we had to pull down. And my job was to get everybody in, turn the lights off and, you know. This sounds so dreamy, doesn't that? like just sound like (laughs) the perfect childhood, my God. Well, it was a mini cinema. And so we'd literally be two seconds in and suddenly... The area where it's glued is quite vulnerable, and if it sticks going through the projector, it would get stuck in front of the bulb. The bulb is really hot, and then the film would start to burn, at which point there'd be like a black. Brown blur on the white <laughs> screen. My job was to run, turn all the lights on. My dad would flick the projector off, and we'd be back down the basement fixing, regluing, recutting, and the rest of the family Gosh. would just walk off grumbling and just couldn't be
0: bothered. But like it. what you learned in that is the patience. First of it all, it was the patience, but, but it was the, the process is just it was fascinating, so
1: exciting. Looking at the film that went through this mini mini projector, so mm. it was about the size of a, a, a slightly bigger than mobile mobile screen, and. You would you would turn it from one side of the projector to the other, and you'd watch it go through. So you could see it. You could speed it up or slow it down, but you could see how it might look when it might look. And then it was looking at ourselves. Obviously,
0: that was that was a
1: funny bit about it.
0: But it's getting right into the creative process of this is how you turn this into this. (gasps) I know you've built a career on that. That's it. I didn't expect you to have actually said that. Now like, oh, you're probably doing something else in your childhood. It's magic when people can really have a passion for something and keep going with it you know because we learn to like fold away from the things that we love instead of leaning into them you know
1: yeah i think i think we kind of lived in it although my parents weren't weren't in the theater business or entertainment business at all my dad was very theatrical um the so two it was this more
0: of a hobby that he was learning how it to was hobby. Yeah, it was all a hobby yeah a hobby okay. this was
1: just something he did in the evenings at the weekend um but we i now have all of those films um, oh. on the discs and they're in a box in my office and I took them out actually to have a look at them the other day. And they're all dated, you know, Ireland 1969 to 71 because we would come back every summer and Easter.
0: So you were living in the UK and living coming UK. back here yeah. then? Okay. So
1: my grandparents who um, had a, a farm in, in Tullamore, Rahan in Tullamore. And so a lot of the films were shot of Ireland. And then, you know, we might get a bit more exotic. We might have been to Spain on mm. holiday. Or there might have been some sports event, you know, yeah. egg and spoon race at primary school. But it was all captured on cine. And um, it's absolutely beautiful because it started It started when I was a baby. So there's footage of me in my, in my pram. You know, I won't even tell you what date
0: that is. Yeah. <laughs> like, when did, the, when did that process, I guess, end then? When did they move... I mean that's a history question but like mm. is that really when did that become out of date that process of joining and I think well commercially probably in the
1: it would have started long before domestically commercially I mm-hmm. think it was the 70s okay bit, and then probably the 80s for the rest of us when we started to move to tape do you remember the old VHS tapes yeah that, i yeah, do yeah yeah so God. that was that was the start of moving away from uh film to tape although wow. some 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 films are still filmed on tape and you can see the difference because of the of the, the light. quality is it yeah the quality although it's very it's very very it, uh, Videotape's got so uh, acutely br- brilliant I suppose yeah. sometimes it's difficult to even know spot. but you know
0: and tell me then so then you go from you decided you wanted to be acting so tell me yes, about that yes. you went to acting school at Mini Driver I- I
1: did That's I did gas. actually yeah. So go on how um, did you end up going deciding
0: I, I'm going to be an actress
1: <laughs> Well I think it was coming from a family that was we you know where we did muck around and put plays on and every Christmas we'd put a show on and we would we would dress up and do lots of this funny stuff my dad was a hugely funny person my mum went along with it totally she was the stylish sophisticated one and my dad was the one who would dress up and put wigs on and do funny voices and so on so um I found quite early on that I think people do at school you find your niche and I found that I could make people laugh Okay. And I thought, OK, I'm safe in that. That sort of saves me from feeling out of kilter with the rest mm-hmm. of my, uh, you know, friends peers. and peers. Exactly. But I think that's the thing about school. It's so hard, isn't it, that you try and find your niche as a child and sometimes you do or you don't. But I found my safe spot was mm-hmm. making people laugh. And so I kind of got into, um, I suppose I then fell into acting because it was my, uh, it was my th- release I suppose it was something that brought me huge joy mm-hmm. that I found people I got validation from I, that's the other thing we're always looking for validation especially yeah. as kids aren't we and
0: um, and I enjoyed the whole dressing up I enjoyed the fantasy of it all so some I, people end up in act a, a, acting rather either like trying to escape reality of their yes. lives or actually lean into not worrying about what people think and being able to have the freedom, I suppose, really. So, like, I'm always interested to know, particularly with acting, and I have a daughter who is looking like she wants to go that direction, so I'm being very kind of inquisitive now to go, Mm -hmm. is she trying to escape who she is or is she trying to actually (laughs) find a deeper version of who she is, you know?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one, actually, isn't it? I almost think that people have to do it. I think people find that that's their therapy, that's the way they're working through things in their lives. Um, And I think, Go with it if you feel that's what you want to do. I wouldn't mm-hmm. it's like any dream really. If you don't explore it, if you don't chase it.
0: It'll keep scratching and yeah, itching, I, yeah. yeah.
1: I do believe that we're here to do to do something incredible for ourselves. I don't mean that in a selfish way. I mean that in that we have certain God given gifts yes. and that we should explore them and mm. we should try them out. And the essence of who I really am. I mean, as a mum, I sometimes kind of <laughs> go into a little kind of corner with a cup of tea and a notebook and I sort of look at the, I have a list of the things that make me happy. Mm. I have a list of the things that spark my imagination and I know I'm off course if I'm not doing any of them. Yes,
0: we need to see that list. We actually should be (laughs) surrounded by that list. When you think about it like that, like we need, we forget life makes us so busy and we're so stuck in that that we need to be reminded and that's absolutely such a valid, simple thing to do.
1: The things that bring we actually joy. need to
0: write down the things that we we love, it, you know, to uh, remind us
1: absolutely. I did it with my daughter, yeah, and she's 15 now. And I and this was I think this was three or four years ago that we sat down and we did the list of the things that brought us joy. Mm-hmm. It could be as simple as lying on the ground and and stroking our dog, mm-hmm. who's a beautiful, kind of lovely, bumbling, happy retriever, but just simple things. And I do remind her every so often, because 15 is, is a tough age, it's mm-hmm. got junior circle coming up, that go and do some of the things on the list that just bring you joy, bring you back to yourself. And
0: reset you, reset you know. You. So the acting for you definitely gave you some kind of freedom or like allowed you to explore more yeah. who you are, I guess, is it? Yes.
1: Yeah, I think that it allowed me to be bigger than I actually was maybe in real life. Okay. To put a costume on and then this... I suppose, this alter ego was allowed
0: yeah. to
1: escape and get yes. out there.
0: And you could fill that as much as you wanted to. Yeah. And then how long did you spend acting or when did it um, start to get like, oh, well, maybe I'm not getting as much joy from this as I thought I would. Yeah,
1: or... I suppose. Well, I was interested in acting. I went to university and I did drama and classics. And then I thought I needed to do. I to so I started um I started out on the drama via university where I did classics and drama as a degree and after that I thought I needed more of a practical experience to move into acting so I ended up in a drama school in Webber Douglas in Kensington in London and that's where Minnie Driver was also on the course. And um, yeah, so there was quite a few people who've gone on to do fairly fairly well after that course. And she's obviously the the one that we all we all know remember. We all remember, yeah. And it's and quite
0: competitive. Like, how do you manage, or at that age, I suppose, before we lean into the self doubt and all of those things, yeah. like, how do you keep yourself from worrying? Like, there's so many talented actresses out mm-hmm. there. You know, you're seeing them in your class. How do you navigate those feelings throughout? your careers you know at that age how were you managing them?
1: Oh I don't think I was managing it very well at all to be absolutely honest.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: the drama schools have changed a lot since I was there and this is quite a few years ago. They now concentrate on the they they actually concentrate on, on TV technique, so that yeah. you can deliver a performance in front of a camera. They also
0: concentrate on audition
1: technique Way more than we ever did. Yeah. In fact, we never really even touched it. Yeah. Properly. And it's such an
0: important thing. Now, I guess, things have just yeah. gone that way. I guess with phones as well, people are recording, self-taping. Yeah. You know. Yeah, so that's
1: th- the thing. I think that people who are going into acting, entertainment careers are less phased by being in front of a camera mm. because they do it all the time. Yeah. When I'm filming, I find that people over a certain age are much more phased by it than people maybe Who are younger. Since, yeah. Yeah, it's really obvious.
0: So you weren't managing the kind of the those worries were there then, even.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was really nervous about auditions, and I would my my self belief was on the floor. And I would I would have my piece, and I would audition it, and so on. But I, in essence, I felt I never did myself justice. justice. And um, looking back on it, I just desperately needed help with audition technique and so on, get overcoming the nerves, actually believing in your performance. Mm-hmm. So once I got the job, it was fine. But it was the element of comp- competition around getting the part that I really struggled with, mm-hmm. and that's a big deal if you're in acting. It is. Acting. Um, because it's totally dependent on how you show up, yeah. And even more so now with self tapes. I have I have quite a few friends who are still, you know, in in the acting world, and they do the tape and they send it off and the, and they don't even think about it again. Mm. It's gone. They don't they don't mull over it or mm-hmm. because you can't because it's such yeah. it's such a pot of luck whether mm. you are the right person at the right time whether you've got the right look. Unless you're very established like the likes of Olivia Coleman, you know, or Brenda Flicker or yes. Maggie Smith, you know, they are, they probably don't even audition most mm. of the time. They, They're they just cherry picked for it. Absolutely. But the
0: energy, like I actually think it's a module that should be in every single career. I really do. Like I've worked as a mentor for starter programmes and, you know, the priority is always, you know, the the business model and the how it's going to make money. And obviously those things are really important, but in every person that I've worked with and every career in every industry it's the commonality if we don't have the energy of knowing who we are believing and trusting in our skills like obviously you can build on that but if that baseline isn't there you can say all the fabulous things and you can tell them all your skills but people feel people and they feel from the energy if there's doubt in there it's like a mirror to the world I I feel it's literally like putting a cloudy dirty window out there to the world if you don't have that inner you know self belief established and even as children i think it needs to be on our curriculum it's such a basic thing but absolutely it keeps coming up 100% you know
1: because i see my daughter uh, you know at school and trying to navigate that whole period of teenage secondary school and um i i they haven't got drama on the junior cert as a as an exam and i'm thinking why not mm. you know you've got music you've got woodwork you've got you know Uh, metal work and so on and yet drama is the one thing that we all need to exercise like a muscle Mm. our performance how we relate to people how we show up Mm. how we win a win a pitch in front of a a board and this it's so so important it also works through who you really are your essence Mm. um so i i really really hope that ends up mm. as a junior cert exam because it. It sh- everyone should be encouraged
0: and just the freedom to remove and detach yourself from the ego and for them to even realize that actually I'm stopping myself here nobody cares what I you know nobody's going to care that we're also worried about what people will think and you know obviously as an actress you would be worrying because you you have to perform and entertain them but like how did you shift then or like move from okay I like acting it's competitive where can I go next? Like, there's there was a void, I guess, in you that you still weren't feeling as fulfilled, maybe as you. There's room for more, yeah. You know. Yeah. So, how did you explore what that more looked like?
1: Um, well, it was a, it was it was a turning point, and I remember it really clearly. I was in a show um, in London, and it was a new piece of writing, uh, and I was just, I was an actor in it, and I remember. Thinking that as we were working through this new piece with the writer who was present in the rehearsal space, that, the, that it was too long, it was too indulgent, and you could mm. cut a third of it. And I remember kind of going, I really feel that this chunkiness is too labored. You know, maybe we could take this piece out. I know it was, a, I didn't know whether I was speaking out of place or what, because it was meant to be very, it was meant to be a very uh, inclusive rehearsal space. We were meant mm. to be able to be workshopping things. But the writer didn't like that comment at all. And uh, when the reviews came out, it said, this show is a third too long. <gasps> and I thought, okay, I've been validated. My yes. instinct has been validated. But at
0: least you voiced it because yeah. I think a lot of people don't. Yeah. It, was, it was a very
1: intense piece of theatre. It mm. really was. And it was a lot for an audience to take in. Mm. There was very little light. There was a lot of shade, but not a lot of mm. light in it.
0: And if you felt heavy just delivering it, yes. well, then the audience had double or triple the weight of figuring that out you know a-
1: absolutely and i think i think you you do have an instinct when something has reached an ending point mm. that you're then laboring it so i i wanted to really explore directing myself and um so i went on and directed a show called in lambeth which was about william blake and a revolutionary, it was a fantasy uh, meeting of two two people. Um, And it was a a lovely piece and we toured it to Dublin. We came to do it in the Dublin Theatre Festival and I got so much enjoyment out of doing it. I got so much enjoyment working with the actors and just drawing the best performance out of them. Um, And what do you
0: think in you? Was it like, is it your eye or your instinct or what, what is it that you felt you were bringing did you kind of did you get exposed to your own magic in that
1: I think yes definitely because I could see when it was when it was authentic and it wasn't authentic
0: and when the actors were actually
1: connecting in fact the very first piece I did prior to that um, was there was a series of Russian plays put on by a company called New Company Theatre and I was asked to direct one of them and I was also in it. So okay. there was a, quite a lot going on. So I had just done a course in shiatsu. I love doing lots of different things. And okay. I'd just done a course in shiatsu. So I decided at the beginning of every rehearsal, we would all do shiatsu on each other. <laughs> and We would shake people's legs out and we would just get very, we would get Physical. into it in you know, a kind yeah. of a safe way, you know. And it was funny and it was lighthearted and it made people relax. And and I noticed how they connected much better once they were back into the, the script or even just reading the script of the paper, they were much more loose and relaxed and so on. And there was that element of allowing people to get out of their comfort zone mm. and really connect with each other. And me directing that, me seeing that and overseeing that was really exciting. So you could see a, a piece being very formal and 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 very sterile. And then you could go. Okay, look, we're going to try this a different way. It was playing games with people. Yeah. It was sort of saying, if we can't get it that way, let's try it this way. Um,
0: Curiosity and breathing, yeah. re- breathing fresh energy yeah, into something, yeah.
1: and the movement and people's movement through through. You know, we don't sit and talk. We move. We move mm. our hands, or we move our feet, or we 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 inflect in so many ways that it's kind of working with words and 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 you know physical movements and so on. And then the detail of all of that coming together, so you produce a piece of theater that actually feels like you have slipped in um it's you know,
0: very authentic then when they're experiencing it, yeah, and it's all an
1: illusion, and you're taken along the ride of this illusion in the audience. I absolutely love that sense that you have captured them mm. and that they're they're on the ride they're they're in in it with you, they believe it, and you could be in a tiny little space, but you've created with light sound set. Um, you've just created another world. So I loved the working and coaching people and directing them. I loved working with the set designer where you got a little um, model of the set and you'd kind of work and you'd look at the model of the set and all the tiny little bits and pieces. I loved doing that, all the detail of that. It's like being back with your father and the details. Yes, the little mini detail, little mini. So you could see the set and you could move things around, which enabled you to kind of see how you could... Block it with yes. is where you get people to move in certain directions mm. around the stage. And um, so you were still
0: paying Doll's house really on yes, <laughs> this stage like
1: absolutely. But I love the creativity of the other person, ok. I think it was as much about um a, a communication between two people mm. who had ideas and them all tunneling, yeah, you know, and, and you can enhance
0: their creativity by communicating what you need, yeah, and that gives them. So it's one of those synergistic kind of relationships, isn't it? Absolutely. There's a sense of that, I think, when you go in and experience a flat show or a movie or anything. And when it's been very considered and creatively, you know, more flavour to it, more colourful.
1: Well, absolutely. When it's a sum of the parts, when Mm. you've... When you have a set designer and you've given them full reign and you've discussed it with them and so on and they, you kind of interconnect with your ideas and then you have the lighting designer and again, you know, that is, is all part of a bigger picture. That's why I think I loved the directing because it was part of a bigger picture. It wasn't mm. just about a performance or a singular performance. It's a collective it's of a collect- creativity. I love working in teams. I think that's it. Mm. I really enjoy bouncing off other people and getting something back from them and sort of building on their energy Um,
0: I don't think any one of us
1: can say that we have created something
0: alone alone. Alone. yeah Uh, yeah. true because even if you did create something you still have to share it with the world so it's a two way process always isn't it
1: and and, um, sorry I was just listening to Steven Spielberg Um, I mean I'm not trying to suggest that that's what I was thinking
0: (laughs) when you were describing your childhood I'm like this sounds like it's like the movie that Steven Spielberg you know
1: (laughs) I wish but not quite um, but I do like hearing, I love watching stuff about you know, yeah. famous people and, and how they got there. I do really enjoy that. And he was, there was a there was a lovely series called The Directors on BBC4, I think, at the moment. And he was saying that, um, you know, that how he got into directing and so on. And he's absolutely obsessed by it. It was clear. It's probably impossible to be around. But there was, uh, Dustin Hoffman was on the set with him. And he said that um, Steven Spielberg is like someone who works for Steven Spielberg. On set, and I thought that's a lovely comment. He's
0: immersed so deeply in it, and <gasps> not
1: some dictator. Yeah, Someone isn't who's that lovely? As hard to make something wonderful with everybody else,
0: not just up here. It's not like yeah. it's more he's on the same side. Like, yeah. that's
1: why I thought that was a lovely That is lovely, isn't it? Comment, yeah,
0: and like, would he be an icon now for you? Like, when we,
1: oh gosh, Steven Spielberg,
0: I actually really
1: loved the Cohen brothers. Okay, um, they actually edit their own stuff as well, apparently. Because it was quirky and because it was all about detail and their camera angles and everything. So when I was at university, well, just after university, I'd be madly keen to watch anything by the Coen brothers and Wes Anderson. Okay. I love that style.
0: And is it just that, like, is it their ownership of the whole, create? not the ownership, but like, it's start to finish, it's everything in between. Like, what is it, if you were to break it down, why do you think they're, is it their, more their style?
1: It's the style yeah okay it's the style it's the quirkiness it's the detail it's the choice of color when mm. they're when they are editing it there's a particular color that it will put on okay. which is which is kind of more it's it sort of has an element of fantasy I suppose okay so you know where's Anderson he has a kind of um you, you know he has a, a very bright um color in the mm. edit which, sort of slightly harks back to the very early days of colour film when it was um, first introduced. Yeah, yeah. So
0: it's like I'm sitting here thinking it's like they all have these ingredients. They all make cakes. Yeah. They all make very different cakes. But yes. there's room in the world for all of those flavours. You know, it's just Absolutely. and you have your own way of baking, <laughs> you know. Um, yes. So what like. When you were younger, like when you were supposed a young director, did you did you doubt yourself then? When did the self trust in your own skill and your own obviously there's the enjoyment or the gratification that you're yeah. doing this and it's it's giving you back something, yeah. but when did that level of self trust kick in? Because I see in a lot of women and men, but like mm-hmm. they go through their careers, and the self trust hasn't really been grounded, and they still doubt themselves. Then they get to the top and they're like, "There's something missing," or like imposter syndrome, or "I'm not good enough." And I think it's that self-trust during the process to go I'm actually doing great I'm keeping myself happy I'm doing great work but just to trust that your your own eye is good enough your own creative process is good enough you know tell me about that for you or navigating your own self-trust um well I suppose theatre directing felt very being at home for me actually it felt
1: like my comfortable space Mm -hmm where i totally worked off instinct um i know some theatre directors can be very technical um they can be very 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 academic
0: mm-hmm. but
1: for me it was about the people who were in front of me and and enabling a sort of a, something incredible to happen um in front of us which is why people go to the theatre because it's it, 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 it it's very visceral it's right mm-hmm. in front of you you're involved in it you can see in, practically touch the actors in some theatre spaces and there's a a sense of
0: magic that happens Mm. in that space and the emotional charge like yeah do you think as a woman that you've been allowed to you know be more emotive in your industry like that can go one way or the other because you're a female may like pull back on the emotions or do you feel that it enhanced your your output in some way that you can engage in that feminine and that intuition that you trust yeah
1: i think that when i went into directing there really wasn't that many um women directing shows Mm.
0: there still isn't i would imagine no
1: there isn't at all and um that some directors could be quite dismissive they could Mm. be quite dictatorial they could try and give someone a way of of delivering a line which is an absolute no-no the line mm. has to come from them you can't deliver it for them and expect them they're not puppets and there'd be in that period of time there would be a lot of issues between bullish behavior mm. so that there'd be complaint there were well there wasn't complaints i think a lot of women put up with it in terms of being bullied or pushed around by the director and so that wasn't ever, ever something that I was ever going to use in my style. Mm-hmm. I wanted everybody to feel completely safe. I wanted it to be a space where you could make mistakes, where you could laugh at yourself, mm-hmm. um, where you felt that there was, there was no, nobody was in charge. We were all working together, so that 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 if even if you know I had given them a direction and they didn't feel that qu- felt quite right, I wasn't going to stamp my feet and Mm. say no that's what you do
0: you were holding the space for the creative process to happen organically like absolutely and that's where the magic is is, isn't it organically
1: is the word because it's meant to be enjoyable Mm. um so yeah so that's I think my my I'm I'd say I'm quite a sensitive person Mm -hmm. and I think in essence I can feel when some very quickly when someone's uncomfortable I can feel very quickly when someone is wanting to move out of a space or they're you know or they're they just want to change tact or they want to finish that conversation i think that's quite a feminine trait actually
0: that mm. you're able to tune into what's happening in the moment it,
1: yeah. and it can be good and bad mm. because it can also make you doubt yourself you know sometimes okay. if you watch if you're watching people's um physical movements and so on body language and you can go okay and then it can slightly throw you so you have to sort of be a little bit careful with tune too. do, do mm. you know what I mean
0: Intune yeah you can overthink people. it and kind of actually interrupt the person instead of enhancing what they're doing yes yeah absolutely so striking that balance striking that balance
1: okay. yeah but allowing people to be
0: yeah um
1: in the space uh naturally and not trying to be too dictatorial about it is mm. really important and that allowing emotions to flow
0: yeah there's a patience in that though I would think isn't there there, like that's a patient thing to do to let someone have that time when you're on the clock and you're, you have a whole team of people producing something, you know. So tell me, like you ended up then, I I know in your, in your background, you've worked on Murder She Wrote and you've, you've worked at Graham Norton. Like, yes. <laughs> how fill us in. So how do you go from, okay, now you know you've cut your teeth in directing and yeah. then you kind of go towards TV producing, is it? And yeah. was that in, still in, are we still in the UK?
1: We... Well actually we were in Ardmore um, okay. so I decided I think with the acting I got very frustrated about the fact that I was always waiting to be chosen mm. uh, or I was trying to run a show on a on a on a very small budget and just never getting to that next level that I was hoping to get to mm-hmm. and then of course you can't you can't put anything any money down for mortgages and so on, it becomes very financially difficult to Mm. continue. The
0: stability piece is tricky, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. So I went off and did a course in broadcasting. I decided to sort of shift to the other side. I'd done a lot of photography in the past and I'd done photography in Berkeley uh, University in California. And I had an I, I, I believed I had an eye for a for a good picture, I had an eye for seeing things develop in terms of stories Mm -hmm. visually in my head. So I went off to do this course and I ended up in Granada, um, as was my first piece of work experience behind the camera. Um, so that would be Coronation Street. I, I kind of flitted from one production to another. Richard and Judy, because they were in Liverpool, and they were, all came out of Granada. So I flitted around behind the scenes.
0: Great experience, though. It like, was a was really um, good experience. In yeah. that, what surprised you the most? Was it like, oh my God, this is all amazing? Or was it like, oh, this is it? <laughs> you know, um, which end of the spectrum in terms of what you thought it would be like and what it actually was?
1: I, 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 think, I, I, I think the humanity behind. Behind the scenes was interesting, the messiness, the the deadlines, the, the, the craziness, that, the craziness, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was all perfect, you know, yeah. perfect, um,
0: polished when it gets to the screen. Reach the screen, that's so yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah. But there is like sellotape holding it back together behind Absent,
1: the Yeah, all of that, all of that. Uh, you know, yeah, it's sticky back plastic. as
0: <laughs> And what about <laughs> Cor- <laughs> What about Coronation Street? Like, tell oh, me. Coronation
1: Street was um, very technical. Okay. It was literally a jigsaw that was placed together every day. Everyone knew where they had to go. It was like a, it was like a factory, in fact.
0: Okay. In terms of the consistency of what consistency, it had to be, is it? Yeah.
1: It didn't have a spark of, of oh, there's a piece of magic going on here. It so was, Betty
0: wasn't making hot pots every morning, was <laughs> <which> she <is> not?
1: <laughs> it was very jobbing. Okay. It was people came in, they did their piece. The sets were tiny. Okay. Um, everything was tiny. Uh, I, and I, I remember sitting in the edit suite and watching it, you know, as they were uh, playing it back and, and starting on the edit and so on, because it's a very, very fast turnaround, as you mm. know. So there isn't very much room to talk, to do what I was talking about earlier, which was allowing and giving people space to work on something. It was in, know your lines, shoot it.
0: Pressure to, cooker type cameras, of, yeah, God. and off you go. Yeah. And
1: we'll see you tomorrow and have all those lines learned for the next scene. Wow. And so it, it was, yeah, it was quite...
0: That's a um, bit disappointing, isn't it? Well, yeah. I suppose just from someone who grew up on this side of the, the yeah. screen, you know. But That's I, not to
1: take away from that. No, the not at all. I know that, yeah. And, but
0: And the actual, to get a production to that level of yeah, consistency, yeah, I'm sure yeah. it takes an awful yeah. lot of work, you know. Um, and then you go from there. Where did you go next? I, um, yeah, then I ended
1: up in Ardmore Studios mm. working on Murder, She Wrote with Angela Lansbury. And I was... Very new at the scene, then I was uh, one of the second ADs, which, um, um, assistant directors, Mm -hmm. and which sounds more grandiose than it actually is. You're sort of drumming up all the extras, you're running people into positions they're meant to be, you're basically running around assisting the keeping it all together, yeah, that the the actual filming happens Mm. in the right place with all the place all the streets locked down so there's no traffic or people walking in and out of the shop and um but I did I did actually hang around the DOP the director of photography mm-hmm. and the gaffer Um, who's the guy who sets all the technical stuff up for for the DOP. And they were really, really interesting pair. They worked all the time together. And I remember sort of hanging around with them and watching how they worked and sitting behind the shoulder of the DOP and looking down the monitor and so on. And they were so cool and they were so chilled about Mm. everything. There was no scrambling. There was no sort of trying to put other people down or anything like that. They were just they lived in their own little bubble, mm-hmm. the, the scene was set the d o p was absolutely crucial to everything um and I just thought what a lovely just a what a fantastic eye this guy had how I just love the serenity of how he worked, and he and his kind of uh, his gaffer, his companion, and they were just lovely people to hang around. I mean, I hung around them perhaps too much, and I got <laughs> probably those to probably both
0: to learn actually, I would say you know to observe that yeah, yeah you can get to that level and have that much of an impact yes and it can be in a calm way
1: yeah it was very calm I think that's the important thing because sets can be quite um, frantic frantic and there can be a lot of egos as well Mm. running around the place and I just felt with these two
0: that there was because
1: they were so good at what they did there was no egos
0: they just kept focused on what was to be done yeah fascinating and then, where did you go from there? Then, so uh,
1: then I moved back to London, and I worked for uh, a few production companies. And most long term, I worked for um, uh, a production company that did the Channel Four series, Time Team, which was very different from anything I'd done before. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's all about it was it. It ran for over twenty years, and it was an archaeological program where they'd go to a site and they would, um, you know, dig up. A, you know, a, a, a Roman villa in the grounds of the majestic York Hotel. Wow. And then they would do what they called a cameo where they would reconstruct the uh, a piece of, uh, you know, Roman... A Roman pottery being created, or something like that, and um, so I worked on that for three years, and that was a really good experience in terms of TV. Mm. It wasn't film; it was TV.
0: Heavily researched, I'd say. Would it be a lot of
1: research? A lot of research. A lot of preparation. We used to do we used to do a different site every month, so you'd overlap as you went along. So that be you would you'd be going to recce the location. You'd be talking to the local um archaeologists historians and um we had um tony robinson as the presenter on that who was in Baldrick. people might remember him from okay. um the tv series black adder and he um yeah he was he was fascinated about archaeology so the nice thing about that program was that everyone was interested in history and archaeology and not in about being Top dog, or there was no egos mm. in it because everyone was focused on something other than themselves, um, of the history and it, and it was one of the nicest things I've ever worked on. We we would the, the company was so lovely. Mm-hmm. The, the we would entertain ourselves for five days <laughs> over the course of a shoot. There'd be about fifty of us on a location, all staying in the same hotel. So the the evenings were long,
0: fun times. <laughs> but I actually I'm fascinated by only my only I've only had a little bit of experience I had a child who was in one of those Christmas ads small role you know he had a few lines and it was of course they edit everything back but my mind was actually blown at the time these people spend on set like we were obviously in and out to do the little pieces Mm. with these people I remember like five six in the morning till Mm. 12 at night I'm like where like when how are you sleeping how are you seeing your families and these people were doing back-to-back shoots. No, it might have been just a busy period, but I, I remember chatting to them going, this all sounds very glamorous, but I don't know if I could live that life yeah. even if I was single and not a mother. You know, yeah. it's a lot of hours yeah, and I it's a lot of time. You, you'd, you'd want to love it.
1: Well, I think it's not for the faint-hearted. Mm. And also, it's not glamorous. I mean, when I was working on Murder, She Wrote, we were filming in November, yeah. November, December. And I was up at five in the morning I'd jump on the crew bus to whatever location it was, and I'd get back at eleven o'clock at night if I was lucky, and then I'd be up again the next morning, and that went on
0: for three weeks. I didn't have any children at this stage, Mm -hmm. Um, and then another two hours to put your brain, your creative brain, to bed (laughs) like that—that might or might not happen. You when you get into bed, you know it was. That's yeah. tedious, like,
1: it, and it's very tedious. And I think the other thing is, when people visit a set and there's nothing to do, mm. it can be the most boring place in the world because everyone's got their little jobs mm. and everything's happening, but it sort of sometimes can feel like nothing is happening. Yeah,
0: and you're waiting for your time to do the thing. Yeah. That could take five minutes yes, and then, yes. you know.
1: And that comes up again and again when I go and film something is that I, I always say to whoever we're putting in front of the camera, when we're setting the, the shot up and the lighting, I say this is the longest part of your day right now. Yeah. <laughs> so we try and set up before they arrive. Very okay. Um, but then, of course, you kind of have to light for the person there and you have to do a little sound check and you have mm-hmm. to get, ease them into it. And all of that is the longest bit yeah. of, of it. It's the setting up.
0: And on that, actually, I remember before somebody interviewing me saying, you know, they were like, tell me about somebody you love to kind of unlock the person Mm -hmm. or kind of like, you know, desensitize and take away the nerves or whatever. And they were like, think about somebody you love and then we'll talk. So everything changes in your face, your expressions, your, your voice, everything you relax. So like what techniques would you have come across or have used yourself to kind of soften people into it?
1: Yeah, that's that's always um, a tricky one, actually, because some people are great. They don't. They seem to sort of slot right in mm-hmm. to behind the camera, and other people literally are like
0: frozen, yeah, yeah,
1: in the headlights. And because they are, they're in mm-hmm. front of the light and there's this lens. And I and I, what I say to them is that you're the expert here, mm. not me, not the crew. You're the expert. You know your stuff, mm-hmm. and my job is just to make you feel that you can speak fluidly and eloquently and deliver the deliver the information that you need to deliver. There is no judgment mm. because none of us know what you're talking about. Yeah, none of us will know anyway.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm always saying that I'm like, there's actually nobody in charge, lads. Like, you know, yeah. the guards might be kind of in charge, but there's nobody really in Yeah,
1: charge. at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um,
0: so like now you're you've moved then into Made to Measure Films, which is yeah. your own full production company, yeah. which is national and probably is it international as well yeah, probably yeah. yeah
1: we have shot stuff um internationally as mm-hmm. well which is
0: which is great and I would love to do more of it I mean but there's
1: a lot of setting up in that um, mm-hmm. because I wouldn't use I wouldn't unless it's a big budget I wouldn't be taking a crew over because yeah. it's much cheaper to hire a crew on the ground yeah mm. it makes more sense as well. Yeah. actually
0: And tell me, like, to getting to starting your own business, like, I suppose technically you're always in your own business in in the work you were doing. But, like, tell me about pausing then for motherhood and how gender interrupted or enhanced your career path.
1: Yeah, pausing for motherhood. Pausing for motherhood felt really lovely, actually. Mm. I don't know about you, but it felt like I could take my foot off the pedal. And I could just focus on them. And it released me from this slightly nagging thing that I've always had is that, have I, d- you know, have I achieved something? Am I doing mm. what I'm actually meant to do? Um, am I reaching my potential? You know, what's my, I don't know. It, it's almost this slightly self-indulgent yeah. nagging thread going through your brain. And so that just stopped. Mm. When I had my children, I could just focus on Baking stuff and being present, being present and playing with them.
0: I relate to that. And that, yes, I definitely felt that, like, oh, this is nice, and maternity leave is lovely. But then I found when I went back after my second child that I felt double the pressure then. Now, I also had been away for a decade, I'd been living in the States. And when I came back to Ireland, I felt I was like one step forward, four steps back. So when I finally finished having children, then I was like, the double force or pressure came in of, so I had the little, oh, this yeah. is lovely maternity leave too. Oh my good God, I've yes. now fallen into a hole in yes. terms of my career. Well, how am I going to climb out of this? So like, you're you're in the nice place. So let's go back to the nice place nice where you were enjoying it.
1: <laughs> so all the playing and the make-believe. I know it was like me back in my childhood again. Mm. But I understand what you mean. When you come out of it, you realise that your reference point is probably most of, the people in the same situation as you with small kids mm. and your confidence in the business world has certainly been eroded by that bubble of of loveliness. Mm. It's not all lovely as we know, but it's, yeah. you know, it's hard work. Um,
0: and we're reminded how grateful we should be and we are. Yeah. But then there's this nagging in the background of like, I know I'm really grateful, mm. but mm. there is a bit of a feeling of not compromise. There's, I can never find language for it, but it's like... This kind of like, oh, I want this to be amazing and I want them to be my best accomplishment, as people yes. say. But I'm like, but there's more to me too Yes, for them yes. that I want to show them, you know? Yes,
1: yes, exactly. And I think somebody said to me that um, when they have, um, when they get to secondary or even primary, that they don't want a mummy that has got nothing to say or no stories to give. And mm. Nobody wants a granny who hasn't done something extraordinary that you can learn from. Yeah. But because when they've all gone through school and they've left home and so on, what will you be left with for yourself? Yes. Um, so I think that was in the back of my mind, that I mustn't just slip into this now and forget about my own... Yourself and your own yeah, needs. My own needs. Mm. And also, it, you know... you. You get to a point as a mother where you feel you've almost got nothing amazing to mm. talk about or to, to to discuss because your whole life has been focused on them. Yeah, um, and as lovely as they are, you still need something for yourself. You can get drowned in that yes. whole mothering. I think. Um, so I before I lo- tried to launch myself back into um, production, I. i decided i wanted to do something through the primary school that my kids were were at at that stage and um, i suggested the idea of making a black and white movie with the kids and no 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 script because then you're Mm -hmm. asking too much of them just black and white movie so they all feel they can all be in it Mm -hmm. regardless of their acting ability because no one had to say anything so um after much discussion, after a bit of persuasion, the school went with it. And there's a friend of mine who's who was a mum who was also there, and she's a decorative painter. So she did all the sets, which were amazing. Wow. And then there was another guy, Pat Crowley, who is the pianist in the Mary Black Band. Ah, okay. And so she did the set. What a crew. <laughs> like <laughs> the Kids in your
0: scooter are like, <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, and then some of the others' mo- mothers came in and did the makeup. Others did the costumes. It was hilarious. We even had um, a friend down the road who had a
0: pig and a pony. <laughs>
1: they were also
0: <laughs> what a sweet memory for them to have, though, and see that coming together. Like I
1: know. And we did two films, and Pat Pat Crowley he composed music. So when we came to, and then obviously I, I filmed it, shot it, edited it, and then I came. To, we came to screen it in the school, mm. and Pat had composed a piece of music for the whole thing to okay. the images. Um, he played live. So we screened the movie on a big screen at the school. This is a tiny, tiny school, god. only about kids. And he played live and it was like, Oh my
0: god, this is Beautiful. <laughs> so then you were like, I better get back to work now. <laughs> yeah. I well, can we make did, beautiful things. <laughs> I know. We did two of those
1: and I thought, right, that's enough. And uh, go and oh, start some money.
0: So now you go and you create what like who are your clients know, like what type of People have you helped and used all of your wonderful experience and skill and i like what what do you do with that now? people can come and get their
1: yeah well, we do i we absolutely do everything from okay. commercials to short documentaries and short mm-hmm. film and so we work with pr companies who commission us to do a promo for quite a few pharmaceuticals okay um which um is another discipline in itself mm-hmm. um so we could be working with engineers one week or we could be working with an artist the next week and um one of the recent things we did was for the uh, the first bridget uh holiday that we had back in February. oh yeah um, I pitched an idea to Cork County Council about, you know, including her her, her as an inspiration for women. Mm-hmm. So the piece basically was about Bridget, the icon, the goddess, the saint, and we had a couple of the councillors from the Women's Caucus come mm-hmm. and discuss what she was to them, to them and how she inspires people and hopefully how that'll follow through mm-hmm. in, in women in business and women in government and so on. And I thought we need something that pulls this all together that makes this kind of quirky and interesting. So I got an artist, Audrey Candlin, who did the big cork sign in the Grand Parade um, to create a piece, a unique piece of what she thought Bridget looked like. And so she created this piece. And what we did in the filming was we made it look as if she had created that piece during the course of... The short film, of ah. course, you know, yeah, secret is she didn't, right? She yeah. obviously created the whole thing beforehand, yes. but the trick is to make it look as if it's and emerging, bring them into that story, yes, like, and at the end, you get the grand reveal. Of That's the piece beautiful. At the end. But it was a really nice thing to work on. and We filmed it in Chapel Hill School of Art in McCroom, mm-hmm. which is an old convent that has been taken over and slowly being renovated and used as an art space mm. for all the potters and the basket weavers and the sculptors and so on and i'm i was just the whole thing came together so beautifully because this is amazing space with these gothic windows and huge shutters where we filmed and so on and there's beautiful parquet floors and it was like if i could go back and film a a short drama i would be a dream come true it was just the location of it the coming together of you know, people who are trying to pioneer things through the Women's Caucus, the artist who's trying to create her own vision of things. And then there's myself and the crew just trying to put the whole of that. And
0: capture all of it. Yeah. And the sense of the history that's there then as well. I'm kind of, I wouldn't have been attracted to that before, but as I get older and I learn more about the power of my lineage and, you know, the things I've learned about things that I've inherited, whether I wanted them or not, that it makes me see a place differently now and see a place that... God, maybe we should know more about the places around us or yeah. maybe know more about, you know, the people that went before us that yeah. we we all are going or just we're all going anyway. So mm-hmm. it's like we're not here forever. Yeah. And to just know more about the impact that was left behind by other people, you know. Yeah. And yeah. where do you see like in terms of the future? So obviously you're doing a lot of commercial work. But like, is there still more? dreams in there that you want to bring to life or like I'd say there's maybe plen- the,
1: is plenty of plenty of dreams actually um
0: I know you have the trust and the yeah. the capacity to yeah. to realize them maybe
1: yeah and I think that trust in myself is something that I have almost been forced to accept I mean a very quickly a, a funny story the reason I worked with Graham Norton was Almost by accident, I um, got a phone. I was. It was a period of time when I was getting lots of scam calls, and they were getting increasingly irritating. And mm-hmm. so I would just block these numbers. In fact, I would see the number come through, and it might be double o double six, you know, and it could be Kenya or wherever, and I'd go. You know,
0: I yeah, here they pick. go again. Like, yeah, yeah, and I
1: would block it and block it and block it. And then um, I remember half six in the morning. I was like, I can't believe it. That why is this happening at six half six in the morning? And so I went down, blocked the number on the on the office landline. And then later on that afternoon. I got a little text from a company called In Vivo saying, we're trying to contact you um, because we need to do some filming in West Cork with Graham Norton.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. There wasn't a scammer? Oh, my God. So, I pelted back into the <gasps> office,
1: unblock, unblock, That's unblock, hilarious. everything. And then they, uh, so then I quickly like rang them back. And of course, because it's New Zealand and our, oh, our timing is so different. Yeah. Um, so that's how that very nearly didn't happen. That's and, so funny. Uh, so now yeah. I
0: have to answer all my scam calls. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> yes. But tell me about working with Graham Norton. So what what was involved in that? So they were, what were they recording, or what did you have they, to do? The
1: well, I've done. I've worked with them three times now. Actually, the it was he has um, some he he works with them in terms of a brand of mm-hmm. Sauvignon Blanc. So how that happened was his chat show, Graham Norton, this company in New Zealand, run by two guys, decided to pitch their wine to Graham Norton for free Mm -hmm. so that it could be on the, you know... Because he's always drinking wine on the set. Yes. Yes, okay. So that's how that happened. So all the wine that you ever saw him drink was directly from New Zealand and he loves Sauvignon. So then this partnership went on for two or three years and then they decided to push their luck and say, would you like to create your own brand of Graham Norton wine? And he thought yeah why not so he got into the blending process now people think he just puts his name on it yeah and but he doesn't at all it's a blending session so they come over with their wine from new zealand they fly over with it Mm -hmm. and they bring all the uh, samples from each vineyard and so they're all labeled vineyard one two three four five six seven and so they're all different fields of Mm -hmm. grape and they blend them together very meticulously. They're all, you know, they, they, whether it's three meals, two meals at mm-hmm. that, two meals at that. So it's a two hour process of blending. And he sits with the two guys and they sip and he. What oh, a job! I'm like, how can I get into this guy know. Work? I know. <laughs> So oh. it's not it's not simply that he puts his name on it okay. at all. It's actually t- it's to his taste and he has the final say. Wow. So it's a very long
0: process. And people wouldn't see that from the from the outside. They just think, Oh, here is no, no, another put no, his name on it. A...
1: Exactly. Wow. So what is lovely is, you know, I mean he 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 has his two percent or whatever whatever it is mm. in vivo, but he gives the whole lot away to the dogs trust.
0: Oh I didn't know that either. Yeah, he loves dogs. Oh that's so lovely. Yeah. And so so what were you involved in then? You had to so I be involved was, in producing some yeah, of that content, so, is it?
1: Well, they wanted to film the whole blending process mm-hmm. and so on because it's part of the the the, uh, the backstory, I suppose, of the wine, isn't it? So mm-hmm. they wanted to present it so the people understood. It isn't simply him putting his name on it. It's the depth him. of what's yeah. involved, yeah. And so we we did that with his uh, original Sauvignon blend. we also came... Um, he came they came back and they filmed another um sequence where he was blending gin in oh. west cork distillery um and because it's close to his home yes he brought his yeah. two dogs with him so they are, one of them appears in the film start <laughs> <Madge>, the show <laughs> yeah Madge, she even gets her title on the screen and she's um, credited on <laughs> she, she is she is oh, um and then i had to go to, actually it's four times of it so then i had to go to london to do another vintage um, eh, for him, which was uh, which was uh, like I was saying, you'd book a crew from London to do that, and then they came back last year to shoot some more blending sessions, but this time they wanted. M- they wanted us to shoot footage for a documentary about Graham which is about his involvement in in, in and his in his interest in Yeah wine. I'd love to
0: watch that actually not just the ad of you know this is the output yeah. but the process well, that, like
1: Yeah that's still being um edited and it's being okay. edited by a crew by a company in New Zealand so unfortunately I didn't get to edit all that together but we produced all the footage from the mm. West Cork shoot uh, and interviewed the two guys who mm. set up in vivo which is another really, really interesting story.
0: But what goes on in your head then? Because if I got a call, like when I get a call <laughs> when I, I answer the spam callers, right? And they say, I need you to do whatever, whatever. Like in your head do you go, is it a visual thought first? Do you go, okay, storyboard, this is what I do you envisage what it looks like already? Like what's your process that goes on in your head? Let's just say.
1: For that one... Or for was, anything, I guess, but okay. just... well, for that for one that? it was really difficult because there was no storyboarding because okay. you didn't know what was going to happen.
0: Because you weren't also controlling the entire production. No. Right.
1: Well, you're controlling the lighting and the setup and so on and, and the audio. All of that you're controlling. Mm. But the process of blending starts and then it doesn't stop because you can't interrupt them. Okay. So it's like it's it's shooting live and then obviously taking all that footage in and editing it down so it all fits together nicely. So the first time I got that call, I had no idea what was involved. I didn't even know really how wine blending worked. Mm. Um, I hadn't worked with Graham Norton before. I hadn't worked with the two guys from New Zealand before. So it was like pitching up on site and meeting everyone. Starting from
0: scratch. like And
1: just saying, so, you know, okay, off you go.
0: And then... But they they must have seen your work and trusted. They obviously knew who they were pulling in. But I'm just wondering, do you go... Oh, my God, am I good enough? Oh, my yes. God, am I, you All know? of that. Okay.
1: All of that and more. Right. I mean, when I said, so how did you hear of me? Oh, well, we were looking for a local company. We really like your style. Um, You know, this is a piece of Graham and we wanted someone who came in kind of with sensitivity to work around the process of the blending and so on. So I was like, well, that's, you, you learned all that from my yeah, that's <laughs> website, yeah. and my
0: social media. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: so that's how I. That's how it began, and then obviously I've kind of created a relationship with the with the all three of them, which is yes. nice. Um, and um, so when I got the phone call the second time, I was actually more panicked than I was the first time, because I was like, "Oh my god!" So now I'm expected to deliver again and, and better all that and more ridiculous and ridiculous yeah. sort of doubting, and I was like, "So oh, even I- at
0: that level, when you're getting called from New Zealand, you can still go." oh my God, you would still be an imposter, you know? Yes,
1: it's ridiculous. So like, let's go
0: into self-belief now, Mm. because I want to know, we talked about self-trust, like in your own belief system, do you still have like a nagging voice in there that's doubting yourself? And who would have influenced your beliefs when you were growing up or or as you went through your Mm. career? Or is this something you think about? Because a lot of people might not, they think of more the, maybe the bad things that were said to them, but the more I've learned and studied it now, I'm like in an obsessive way I would say to be fair but like there's so much opportunity to change our beliefs as we get older and as we grow Mm. that if people spend five minutes a day building new beliefs in Mm. that will actually do way more for your life than anything that's gone in the past you know I I read a really funny thing the other day I was walking behind this guy in town and on his shirt said um, don't keep tripping over yesterday or something like that like we let the past like really get in our way and we keep tripping over it into the future you know so like what goes on with your belief systems or how did you how do you start to bake in that belief now as you yeah. do all these fabulous I mean the the projects are insane like we, we didn't even get to talk yet about the Lusitania but like you've done projects that are mind-blowing and world-class Aww, so how do you still have like Um, I want to say, cop on to yourself.
1: (laughs) I I don't know. I'm always seeking that perfect thing, but there is no such thing as perfect. Yeah. That's the the thing about self-belief, isn't it, really? Mm. Is that we think we haven't achieved what we could achieve. I look back on stuff that I did, you know, early on, and I go, oh, God, that wasn't, you know.
0: But of course it wasn't the best because everything is work in progress. Yeah, I've... kind of got to that as well where I look back and things even simple things like maybe how I designed something on Canva something as simple as that and I'll go that was so basic and then I have to love on myself a bit and say but at that time you only had these skills and you probably thought that was amazing at that time and it was good enough for that yeah. version of you yeah. so cut yourself some slack now it's still it's gone the other extreme now where I'm like divine laziness like Earth's granted it'll be fine <laughs> as you see with my <laughs> my really professional recording set up here today oh no it's no, lovely it's no but really the, nice. the studio here is amazing like yeah. the you know this is really yeah. at the level you'd be used to yeah. I'm just kidding about my video skills you know there, oh, there's, yes. there's a lot to learn yes. yet let's just yes. <laughs> yes. but it's
1: trying to be jack of all trades isn't it yeah. and I don't think we should force that upon ourselves I think we live in a society where we're expected mm. to be all the things everything yeah. Yeah, or even know how to use it yeah um, and I think that's that's ridiculous. I think people need to excel in their disciplines
0: and, and stay in your zone of genius and work together. Mm, yeah, yeah. Bring yeah. in the people who are good at all those absolutely. things, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um. So on that, what are your divine gifts, would you say?
1: Ooh, um,
0: and well, indulge like I want people to get comfortable with saying, yeah, yeah, actually, I can now say this is how we build in new beliefs yeah. for those people listening. Yeah. What can we, what proof is in front of us that we like, I did this, I did that. And it's not a boastful thing. In Irish society, people are terrified to actually love themselves, first of all, but to actually go, yeah, that was actually decent, decent work that I did. Yeah. Because it's, it's ingrained in our culture to be like, stay small. Don't be getting ahead of yourself. Yes. Don't be cocky. Like you can be, you don't have to be cocky to be confident. And you don't like, you can be humble and heard is what I say. Yes. You can still be nice yeah. and sweet and kind and still excel in your yeah. like your proof of that actually yeah. Do you know
1: that's still a tricky one actually mm. isn't it i mean i when i go on set i um i introduce everybody mm-hmm. and i'll introduce the crew and so on and this is the camera uh, operative today and then you know i'll go over and introduce myself and you should realistically i should go over and say hi i'm the producer director today and so on and i sometimes don't do that mm. because I kind of want everyone to feel comfortable and I don't want to sort of seem as if I'm here to tell you all what to do. And
0: it's an odd one because men would go straight in they would. there, hand out. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: but there is something in that, the ownership of what we're doing. Yeah. And I do see that a lot and I have to catch myself on it yes, to sometimes go, yes. no, this is what you're doing. It's okay to say all of that yeah. and to tell people the difference yeah. you're making, you know, or the days that you're not, you know. Yeah. But there's a bit of ownership there that I do think that women hold themselves back for, and it's that embodiment of like, not only am I doing this, but I'm I'm loving it, and it's it's glowing out yes. of me, you know. Yeah,
1: there's definitely yeah, and I think I think we were talking about earlier that how do you overcome mistakes and. Mm when I first started the business and so on, yeah, I was nervous and I was unsure of my ability or my skill or whatever it might be and coming back out of being a a full-time mother and moving in that imposter syndrome, all of that. So I remember coming off shoots and being annoyed with myself because I hadn't been assertive enough. And I mean assertive in a good way, Mm. not like, listen guys...
0: Domineering, but being in control more of the situation, is it?
1: Yeah, but being assertive in... My creative eye.
0: Okay. So in, so you might see
1: something that was really a beautiful shot or another way to look at it. And you kind of wouldn't so the camera might have been set up and you'd say, Well, look, it's all set up, maybe I just won't fuss around about it and so on. So I'd come back and I'd I'd look at the footage and I'd go, why didn't you
0: capture search, that? Yeah, yeah. Assert
1: your creative eye. And I was so I'd write a list of things that I was annoyed with really? myself in a in an old scrapbook that I keep next to my bed. And um, I went back to look at it before this interview and all of it was about trust your instinct, trust your talents, trust the creative eye which you have been blessed with Mm -hmm. and just take that and
0: go with it. And honour it.
1: Honour it, yeah. Yeah. God,
0: and do you think there's power in writing that down? Because like we're kind of a wash and I look, it's a good thing, but like, you know, writing down your goals and writing down all the affirmations and all of that. But actually, there's something in dealing and facing up to the things that we kind of skip over, like the mistakes where we could improve. There's a lot of power yeah. in that. I'm going to try that. My yeah. book will be full. Like book, oh, <laughs> my notebook could be full. <laughs> I'm going to start doing that. That's a great <laughs> idea. So, like instead of you know future proofing the goals, and they're all really important and what you're you know the vision of what you're working towards, but actually bringing along the learning of mm. I'm going to make sure that I actively correct these things where there's room for me to lean in more to my creativity.
1: And that's what self-belief is, isn't yeah, it? It's yeah, self-belief actually, isn't yeah. the belief that everything you do is right. It's the belief that you can learn more, mm. that you can keep continuing to improve and grow. Mm. Um, I think that's the thing. Self-belief is the belief that you can continue to grow and improve. Yeah,
0: and that whatever it takes, yeah. that whatever whatever shakes that tree, yeah, the, that the trunk of the tree is solid and absolutely. it can deal with it, you know? But you're
1: not simply stuck. In the way you've always managed things, mm. or the or the way you've always produced something, that actually there's more to you that yeah. but trusting and allowing that to grow
0: and owning it when it does happen, even the mistakes. So tell me about the future. We could stay here forever more, like we literally <laughs> could. Um, tell me about what's next, or where you your vision for oh. where you're going, or is there one? Do you just wing it?
1: I well, look, I work with as i said a, f- a good few pr companies and i have people who are, are loyal and come back to me again and again which is really lovely um i've started to pitch more though i've started to pitch more documentary ideas i've started to pitch more kind of historical and cultural ideas um and there's something i'm working on at the moment which i can't give too much away mm-hmm. on but it's really about feeding into my love of of the of history folklore places cultural um, lineage and people in those places um, so that it's it's about sort of creating stories uh, around areas, around uh, environments, castles, whatever, stories that have a, a meaning behind them that can enrich other people's lives. So it's a kind of a knowledge that enables us to to become more interested in where we are or whatever. So I won't say too much about it, but mm, it's something that's very that I'm interesting. really, yeah. really passionate about that I, you know, I, I want to sort of really work and, and draw out as far as it can go because it enables me to do lots of research. It enables me to look back historically at things, to look at old footage, which mm. I love looking at, and archives and so on. So it's sort of working on that, that Irish heritage and cultural side of life, which I feel we probably don't get enough of. We yeah. get a lot of... Um, uh, of food and uh, you know Irish food is really on its ascendancy isn't it Mm. but then that heritage side that cultural side needs a bit of a a lift
0: Mm. up. Sometimes I think are we just racing through and only capturing the pretty things Instagrammable things Yes. and are we skipping over loads of things in between and then we all know the evolution of all of our wellness is that we need to go back and pick up in nature and all those places where we, where we stopped. So like yeah, it's yeah. bridging the gap, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah. that's interesting. So now we're going to have to have a second episode to get all of that juice <laughs> out of you.
1: <laughs> but you're talking about the but they're talking about the nature, and that's just another thing of what I I love I love doing stuff that's around sort of environmental issues and so on. I worked with Cork Environmental Forum on something on a couple of things actually, um, and part of that filming forces me to look at things in minute detail so it might be sort of filming a a a beautiful forest that's adorned with bluebells and then you get your camera in there and you're on a micro lens and you're seeing not just the bluebell you're seeing the tiny insect inside and you suddenly you see this microscopic world and you start to fall in love with it
0: and i just remembered you avoided answering your divine skills, and I think you've just told us what they are: <laughs> your eye to detail, the eye to detail, and bringing us into other worlds yes. that we probably otherwise might have skipped over. Yes, I. Love- you know.
1: I, I have always said this. I love little things. I love yeah. detail. I love looking at the intricacies of things and the story. And very briefly, I was looking um at some silver that I inherited from my mum, and I bought one of these tiny little eyeglasses that light up and they they magnify it by forty percent or something. I come it's forty whatever. Um, and I would see the the hallmark, the silver mark, and even the maker's mark on it. And I decided to look up the maker's mark, okay. and then a, suddenly I'm into another world where, in 1870, William Bateman, because it have W.B. On the, okay. on the silver ring, William Bateman, the first silversmith, you know, in Birmingham or Sheffield or
0: wherever. My God. And then his he, lineage, and you're going, there's a story in the tiniest, in the tiniest. depth of what we're missing. Are we like yes. are we on a very surface level now that we're missing the depth of everywhere we go?
1: We do because we drive through it. Don't yeah. We?
0: we Google map through it and we get lost and we come back around, you know? So maybe it's time to come back around and kind of go deeper instead of, you know, being distracted by all the new shiny things. Like, what other divine gifts or skills would you say you could, or like, you know, how would you like to be remembered or what are your distinctive things like that Um, are yours and yours alone that your whole experience and life and your view on the world your lens of seeing the world. Um, I suppose the thing about be- becoming more conscious of um,
1: the climate, environment, biodiversity. I'm really kind of desperate to to do the very best I can. Mm. For- Biodiversity, and even in my current surroundings, we, we know we don't cut the lawn anymore. It's great. My husband's going, "It is easy." Well, like, I' like this. <laughs> <laughs> but it just enables this beautiful meadow of flowers to appear every summer. We planted 12 trees a couple of weekends ago in a sort of common ground. And so I think kind of looking at all that lovely enabling of nature to be rekindled mm-hmm. it is, is, is a, quite a passion actually. It's a real passion. Um, and it sort of takes me away from the everyday. So you focus in on the detail of things, the creation of things, and the fact that life exists so differently for nature around us, from our own lives. Mm. Like they work, they're they working away, well, most of the time they're oblivious until we kind of mm. encroach
0: on them. Um, and so The more we zoom in, the more we can zoom out. Yes.
1: You know? Yeah, I, I know. I was I was thinking it would be great if schools did a series of workshops where the kids in secondary school had to go out and just take a final tiny little plot of land that's mm. quite local to them and just photograph all the tiny tiny things that they never see—the mm. microscopic, the tiny little insects, the curling leaf, and how. It, mm. And just maybe that would enable them to see that they they live in their environment. Mm. They don't kind of you know exist outside of it or mm. on the surface of it um so i just i suppose i get quite emotional about the details of things i get quite emotional about people's stories mm. i love other people's stories um and i think that's my interest in that in humans and nature and the tiniest of things makes me like you were saying earlier patient with people yeah actually interested Just desperate for them to shine and look well and Mm. perform and deliver well all I ever want is when I go and shoot somewhere it's just someone to look good and come across brilliantly that's all I want and I I do say that to them Mm. I just want you to look wonderful and just glow because this is about what you know not about me or Mm. the camera or the lens or the mirrors yeah and
0: it removes all the layers of junk Mm. that can creep in and in between that you know yeah God, that's so fascinating. So what can we expect from you? Like, where are you going with all of this? Do you think <laughs> you'll
1: you'll um, do
0: you'll work on the project that you're talking about and continue, like in your industry, is there major changes you see coming with future of TV and yeah. all these streaming? Like the kind of, the models have changed a little, haven't they, about how things are produced?
1: Less people are watching mainstream TV. Yeah. And with the likes of Netflix and Amazon mm. and, and so on, uh, I think, I suppose, from my little world, I would like to create something that is just beautiful and memorable and evocative Mm. and just keep making things that have an impact emotionally. I mean, ironically, I did... I did um, two days of a conference for a pharmaceutical and we covered it. And after the two days, we, you know, edited, put the whole thing together and so on. And it was commissioned by the PR company who worked with them. And the 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 lady who who's, who's fantastic and I work a lot with, she turned around and said to me, oh, my God, Carla, I loved it. I got quite emotional seeing all the people I, I know so well. And I was thinking, if you can get emotional over About a something convention… Like that of people in a pharmaceutical company who are fantastic yeah. and are wonderful people but it's all business it's not
0: drama it's yes. not
1: it's not their secret lives mm. then how amazing is that yeah. to
0: be able to you're unlocking a layer that wasn't there before yeah, like but isn't super, that amazing
1: and I just want to do more of that that kind of theme yeah, work yeah, because I can't see the point of creating something that can be strung together in two seconds
0: mm, and be boring and stale yeah. and
1: yeah. Everything has to have a heart. It has to be unique. It and has to be authentic. It has to have. It has to make an impact on someone some way or mm. other.
0: So to move them or to keep them moving in yeah, some way or inspire way. them. Either. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. I just think it's amazing that somebody can be. Following that lifelong passion for storytelling and capturing things, and then just be on like the school run or in the supermarket. (laughs) That's where I'm fascinated. I'm like putting another wash on. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like oh god, another basket of laundry. (laughs) You know. know. So it's it's been absolutely fascinating to have you here. There's so much to learn from you, and I really just hope this inspires people to, you know, step away from the imposter syndrome. Of course, it's going to be there somewhat, but. Bring yourself back to the good work that sets you alight and just keep doing that, you know. Thank so thank you. you so much for nope. being so honest and open Thank you, and for joining me here today. Thank you. Today I'm joined by Carla Goodman. Carla is an actress turned TV producer and now runs her own business called Made to Measure Films. The theme throughout her career has been storytelling. She's had a very colourful career working in the likes of Ardmore Studios, Granada Studios. She worked on Murder, She Wrote and even went to acting school with Minnie Driver. I'm thrilled to be joined by her today so we can hear more about her story. Working in such an inspiring environment and recording my podcast at Iconic Offices in NSQ2 Cork has really helped me to elevate my brand and grow my business. The location is simply stunning and has become an invaluable resource for me. The good news is you too can get to experience all the benefits Iconic Offices have to offer. They've given me a number of exclusive, complimentary day office trials for my audience. So what are you waiting for? Try it for yourself, bring your team, no catches. Simply go to the link in the show notes and enter the code UPSHERISES23 and claim your complimentary office for a day. Trust me, you won't want to let this opportunity pass you by.